tonight. It's official. We announced the lifting of testing requirements for fully vaccinated travelers. Now the rules that remain in place and when the U.S. may lift its testing requirement. Plus anti-mask pushback. It was so much easier when they just kept the mandate. A Vancouver business met by harassment and threats over staff choosing to protect themselves and others. You want to turn around for a sec? And another random attack. Took both of her hands and she just like full body kind of like pushed me. Why this latest victim believes hers isn't an isolated incident. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us. The federal government is making it a little easier for those coming to Canada or returning home. Today, announcing that as of April 1st, a pre-entry COVID-19 test will no longer be required for fully vaccinated travelers. As Richard Zussman reports, it's a welcome change for the hard-hit tourism industry. It is the green light, or in this case, the green arrow, many have been waiting for. We have the power individually and collectively, to reduce the impact of the virus on our lives. A lifting of one of the most significant remaining COVID-19 travel restrictions in Canada. Effective April 1st, the testing requirement to enter Canada will be gone. For those traveling who are fully vaccinated, meaning two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine, unvaccinated travelers, five and older, must still produce a negative COVID test to enter this country. Under five, there's no testing requirement. For the last few weeks, we've seen a significant decrease in the rates of positivity of travelers entering into Canada. That rate was almost 10% in, in January. Random mandatory screening will remain by land, air or sea, but with no isolation requirement awaiting results. And anyone coming into Canada must still fill out details in the Arrive Can app. The testing changes welcome news to BC's tourism sector. While one quarter of visitors to this province are international, they make up 46% of the tourism revenues. We need to get very deliberate and be very busy on the marketing front to start to attract people not only from the United States, but from those international countries where there is pent-up demand. On the flip side, the change makes it much simpler for Canadian day trippers to the United States, be it for a Mariners game, a trip to Target or Trader Joe's, or to fill up the gas tank. If you had to build that antigen test into the time of your trip, into the cost of your trip, um, those same day trips that are very popular by Canadians, particularly in the region between BC and Washington, were pretty prohibitive. There is still one obstacle. Travelers by air heading to the United States must still provide a negative test. But the expectation from Canadian officials is that will change as well, potentially by April 1st. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. It's been almost a week since the province dropped the order requiring everyone to wear masks indoors. But some businesses are, are asking their clients and their staff to keep their masks on just a little while longer. Now, as Nitu Garcha reports, they're facing some blowback from people who don't like the idea. It's nasty. It's pretty harsh. The owners of this Vancouver business say they're facing online backlash from people not happy with their mask rule after the provincial mandate was lifted last week. But we've also had a client reach out to one of our stylists and literally call my wife and I disgusting people 
for forcing people to wear masks. Especially with some staff and clients recently losing loved ones to COVID-19, Liz Abreu and her husband Michael Levine made the call to keep the face coverings mandatory at their salon for a period of at least two weeks. Because it was shocking to say or to see how quickly it switched over to everyone wears masks and now you don't have to wear masks. It's a similar story at Massey Books in Chinatown, taking to Twitter to say anti-masking bullies are planning to harass Massey. We may lock our front door soon, requiring access by doorbell or knocking only. And responding to a Google review with no mask, no service. Thanks for not shopping with us again. It's um, an individual uh, choice that, that we all have to take. It's really a personal choice, I think, yeah. So uh, if they feel comfortable without it, by all means. It's personal freedom um, on both sides. At a time when divisions over mandates are heightened, some business owners feel they've been given little direction from the province. Mask wearing is still recommended in indoor public spaces where you don't know the other people and where um, you can't maintain a distance. So they're acting consistent with uh, good public health advice, and uh, I admire them. Health Minister Adrian Dix is asking customers to respect businesses' decisions around pandemic mandates, reminding them BC's vaccine card requirement could be removed by April 9th. Most people are appreciative of us erring on the side of caution and just, you know, trying to make sure that, that we're being responsible. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. And here are the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We have 298 people in hospital, down by 31 since yesterday, and there are 49 patients in the ICU. We've recorded seven more deaths from complications of the virus, and we have 240 new confirmed cases. Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, you have some fresh data on vaccination rates in B.C., particularly for children. Yeah, so every Thursday, out comes the data from the Center for Disease Control and the Health Ministry, breaking down vaccination rates by age groups. Pretty well, everyone over 18, the age group there is over 90%. Different story for the 5 to 11-year-olds. We seem to have hit a bit of a wall, 350,000, and we haven't hit 200,000 yet. But what's interesting is the regional breakdown, the disparities. Just 36% of this age group uh, vaccinated with one dose in the north. And you can see the interior, 44%. Finally, over 50%, and we get to Fraser. Only Vancouver Island and Vancouver Coast have numbers that are considered to be a little more comfortable. And when you look at the within the age group, it's also interesting to see younger kids versus older kids. The 10 to 11-year-olds are at 62.4%, 5 to 6-year-olds just 49.7%, not even 50%. So again, we've hit a bit of a wall when it comes to vaccinating kids in this age group. It is important. We're not out of this pandemic for quite a while yet, and the data worldwide shows the vaccines are very effective and very safe for kids age 5 to 11. So if you haven't got your kids vaccinated, there's still plenty of time to do it. Well, and the consequences if they do have a reaction can be quite severe. Mm -hmm. Keith, I understand you just received some information on the new variant BA2. Mm -hmm. What's the impact here in BC? Yeah, interesting. The first case was detected back in December, but look how it's grown. It cracked the 100 uh, number for the one-week period in January, and then it's just starting to take off as we go through February, 121 on January 23rd, rising to more than 300 uh, by two weeks later. A week later, 460, and again after that, at the end of February, 574 cases a week. It's about increasing almost 20 a day, Colleen. I reported last night, you may recall, we're seeing a 
surge of COVID-19 cases around the world, an 8% increase in one week. Most of those are, are the BA2 sublinear variant of Omicron. It seemed to be more transmissible. Right now, it seems to be replacing Omicron. So other cases announced today, uh, likely a half of those were of this variant. And that's, uh, that's of interest. It's not necessarily overly concerning yet, but it's interesting. A new variant is here in BC, and it'll probably replace the Omicron variant we saw for so long. All right, we'll be watching closely. Thanks so much, Keith. Right. There's been another random attack in the Lower Mainland, this time at one of the region's busiest shopping centres. A woman says she was aggressively pushed at Metrotown this week, leaving her stunned and police searching for a suspect. Paul Johnson has more. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Zania Marshall and Helani Baibai were expecting nothing more than a typical ladies' night at Burnaby's Metrotown Mall Monday. It didn't turn out that way. We were walking down the corridor and then all of a sudden this woman just came up to me and she just pushed me like with both of her hands. She just like pushed me full force. You want to turn around for a sec? Despite her shock, Marshall had the presence of mind to grab her phone and film her alleged attacker as she rode the escalator away. She just like randomly went up to me and pushed me. On one side I felt it sore on my left side and um just like, I guess emotionally from that, it was just kind of uh, startling. We asked, why'd you do that? And the girl just stared at us and it was quite a scary look. Having gotten a good description, early 30s, East Asian, about 5'2", that and the video were enough that the Mounties now think they know who they're looking for. We do not believe there was any relationship between the victim and the suspect. We do not believe that they knew each other. And uh, that's what's most concerning and, and troubling about this, uh, this type of crime, is that there's, uh, there's no real reasoning to it. Well, Burnaby RCMP say they've identified the suspect, they can't release the name until charges have been made. Unprovoked stranger attacks in the Metro Vancouver area have been getting more attention in recent months. But whether it's an actual trend, and if so, what's behind it, is all still unclear. Kind of like shaken about yeah. everything, but I'm feeling better. Zania handled her incident well, but recognizes yeah, I mean, it could have been worse for someone else. Had I been someone else, like at a different age, if I had been a, a kid or a, a senior, that would have been very different as well. No one else should have to worry about this in public. In Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. An employee at a Burnaby skincare business has now been charged with sexual assault and police say there may be other victims. The investigation began in 2019 after one woman reported she'd been assaulted while undergoing a procedure at Fab Skincare. Then last year, another victim came forward to police. Now, 47-year-old Farshad Kashani has been charged with two counts of sexual assault and has been prohibited from performing any forms of laser treatments. Burnaby RCMP are appealing for any other victims to contact the detachment. Fraser Health is warning patients who underwent intimate procedures at the clinic to be tested for sexually transmitted infections. I can't speak to the specific treatment that these women received, uh, but what's important is that um, I do commend them for their bravery for coming forward because um, any sort of treatment can be personal in nature and uh, it's, uh, we appreciate that they're cooperating with the police investigation and supporting the prosecution. Fab Skincare has been ordered to stop performing the intimate procedures. People who may have been victimized at the clinic are being asked to contact Burnaby RCMP. 
A Canada-wide warrant has been issued for a 40-year-old sex offender who has violated his supervision orders. Marcel Lawson failed to remain in hospital despite a court order. Police say he has a history of sex offences and is at risk to reoffend. He's described as Indigenous, 5 feet 8 inches tall and weighing about 230 pounds. He has short black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a black sweater with an Under Armour logo and carrying a black backpack. He may also be walking with a limp. A 60-year-old community hall in Nanaimo has been seriously damaged by what police are calling a suspicious fire. Repairs are underway at the Departure Bay Activity Centre on Wingrove Street after Nanaimo RCMP say flames ripped through the building at 5.30 this morning. The gymnasium was heavily damaged by flames, the nearby parking bay by smoke. Fortunately, nobody was inside the building when the flames broke out, but fire investigators believe the flames may have been intentionally set, and the case is now in the hands of Nanaimo RCMP. Surrey RCMP are now investigating an arson involving two vehicles in the Fraser Heights neighborhood. At 2.40 in the morning of March 11th, firefighters called police to a home at 177 A Street and 101 Avenue, where two vehicles were burning in the driveway. Investigators now say it appears the fires were intentionally started, and they have surveillance video showing two suspects arriving and leaving on foot one of whom appears to have lit themselves on fire during the incident and may have been hurt. Police say the arson appears to be targeted and they're asking anyone with information to come forward. It's on the edge of the country and the cutting edge of green initiatives. And soon, Tofino won't allow any cutting with plastic cutlery. The Ocean Municipality has become, the Oceanside Municipality has become the first in the province to ban all single-use plastic utensils. Just the latest in a number of steps it's taken to reduce plastic waste. What else could be on the growing list in just over a minute? Making the best of a wet situation, the West Coast Spring Break Washout. And the puppy who accidentally became part of the furniture. Those stories later on the News Hour. Tofino is the first municipality in British Columbia to ban single-use plastic cutlery, the expansion of a bylaw that already prohibits plastic bags and straws. And as Kylie Stanton reports, one environmental group aspires to have even more items added to the list. While on vacation, there is no need to cut the calories, but here they're ready to cut the cutlery. It's an unneeded plastic item that be added to our landfill. The district of Tofino has adopted a bylaw banning all single-use plastic and bioplastic cutlery, becoming the first municipality in the province to do so. This is just one great step that the community and all our local businesses can take to, to prevent some of that plastic uh, waste from being used and going into the ocean in the landfill. The idea was spearheaded by Surfrider Pacific Rim. The non-profit environmental group claims plastic cutlery is one of the most common items collected during park and beach cleanups and often can't be recycled, ending up in the landfill. So much garbage, yeah. And so it lobbied mayor and council to expand its single-use item bylaw, adding plastic and bioplastic cutlery to the growing list that also includes plastic bags, straws, and polystyrene or foam takeout containers. So all of these things are now coming under this huge umbrella of these single-use plastics. So I absolutely 
um, believe that, you know, we're going to see more of this in the future. Plans are already in motion to add single-use plastic water bottles, plastic coffee lids, and takeout containers to the bylaw. But for the moment, they'll stick a fork in that to celebrate this win. I think it's a really great um, example of how this movement has snowballed and a real culture shift in kind of the way that we the way that consumers consume on the West Coast and the way that we do business on the West Coast. Businesses will now have six months to make the transition, instead offering alternatives like bamboo or reusable cutlery, while encouraging customers to have their own on hand. I think it makes totally sense and uh, uh, we are excited to be part of this change. And while Tofino may be the first, it won't be the last. The district of Euclid is expected to follow suit in the coming weeks, setting a precedent and a place at the table for other jurisdictions to join in. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It's a question with no answer. Tell me, for what? What are we guilty of? The search for survivors amongst the ruins of Ukraine and some encouraging news. And how a B.C. group with a long history of helping Ukraine is sending essentials to the country. Next. Traffic is moving pretty well now along Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch with just minor congestion at the usual merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Sussex Insurance are your community auto plan experts. For questions about recent ICBC changes or to find a location near you, visit SussexInsurance.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. As ceasefire talks continue, Ukrainian forces have managed to slow many of the Russian advances into their country to a near standstill. But despite the lack of progress by Russian soldiers, or maybe because of it, Putin's forces keep pounding civilian targets, including, as Aaron MacArthur reports, those clearly marked as such. Door by door, firefighters in Kyiv look for survivors helping dozens of people from what's left of their homes. After another night of shelling in the capital, targeting civilians. In cities across Ukraine, the same pattern playing out. The central market in Kharkiv. Two schools and a warehouse with humanitarian supplies were hit. Three people were killed. The director of one of the schools says, how can you destroy an educational facility? This is what Russian occupiers do here. Several firefighters also injured, trying to limit the damage. This city worker says the impact crater is about four meters deep. We're trying to restore the connections to keep the city functioning. The effort to rescue people from the remains of the theater in Mariupol continued Thursday. Reports from inside the city suggesting people have been found safe in the basement of the building. The international community outraged at the attack. The theater designated a civilian shelter before the bombs fell. People desperate to leave the besieged city are venturing out into the open. Lineups of cars draped with white flags packed and ready to go. The deputy mayor says 80 to 90 percent of all the buildings in Mariupol have been damaged. 
This woman says it's just a horror. For what? Tell me, for what? What are we guilty of? While Russia controls large swaths of Ukrainian territory, Russian ground forces have made little headway in advancing on the major cities. The Pentagon reporting 7,000 Russian soldiers have been killed since the start of this conflict. There are no estimates of the number of civilians killed over the last three weeks. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The federal government is expanding the length of time Ukrainian refugees can remain in Canada. Ukrainians who come to Canada will now be permitted to stay for three years. Many already saying they do not intend to stay in Canada permanently. The announcement from the federal immigration minister adds one year to what was previously announced. Earlier this month, Ottawa said it would allow an unlimited number of Ukrainians to come to Canada on a temporary basis with expedited emergency visas. More than 3.2 million Ukrainians have fled their country since the invasion began. As the war in Ukraine enters its fourth week, a Ukrainian volleyball player at Calgary's Mount Royal University is sharing her family's story. While the family feels a world away, they're finding solace in sport and hope for the future. Kami Kepke reports. Natalia Klamanova was practically raised by volleyball. Her pure love of the game goes back as far as she can remember. So stepping onto the court didn't feel like a dream. It felt like destiny. My mom played for the Soviet Union team. I grew up like watching my parents playing beach volleyball when I was a kid and building like some sand castles uh, under the referees. In the small eastern Ukrainian city of Severodonetsk, Klamanova says volleyball was king and the local Super League players were idolized. Her parents were both high-level players themselves, encouraging Klamanova to pursue her professional goals and education. Years later, her career has taken her across Europe and now to Calgary's Mount Royal University. In early 2022, she was poised to take another big step forward. I got a call from the national team from Ukraine and they were like, oh, like we want to see you, we will pay for all the flights, like we will have an opportunity to host you here. And I knew my ex-teammates with whom like we grew up, they're like, how oh, you are coming, it will be the best season ever. Four days later, Russia invaded and those plans were put to rest. It's been a disaster and like when I'm calling right now, my parents and even the cup of the city is like destroyed and like erased completely from the surface of like of Earth. Klamanova says her father is 56 and legally must stay in case he's called to fight. Her grandmother is too frail to travel and her mother will not leave them behind. As the family tries to stay in contact, volleyball has become an outlet to channel grief and stress, helping the Klamanovas find surreal pockets of normalcy. I'm sending them like little videos, like they had troubles with like internet for like a while, but as soon as they like get the surface they watch and they're like, oh, like you had like so great digs and you're like, yeah, but you know that like my grandma's house was bombed and like it's like it's so real. All Klamanova can cling to is the next phone call until she can fulfill a new dream of bringing her family to Canada. Kami Kepke, Global News. An Okanagan charity with a long history of helping Ukraine is preparing another shipment of essentials bound for the country. Looking to do a full shipping container, which is about 35 skids. The North Okanagan Gleaners are preparing a container full of dehydrated food along with clothes and other necessities to ship next week to refugees along the Ukrainian border. The group has been making shipments to Ukraine for the past five years, sending off their last container just one day before Russia invaded. 
We're just hoping to uh, to feed hungry people. Uh, that's really our goal. We we don't want to see anyone suffer. We don't want to see anyone starve. Uh, there's plenty of food available for people. The Gleaners exists as basically a food bank for the world. And so in Canada, we have many local fresh food banks. You can get fresh potatoes and stuff. The best way we can do this is to dehydrate and ship things over um, to people that, that really have nothing. The North Okanagan Valley Gleaners is accepting donations through its website to help with the shipping costs. They can be debilitating with long-term consequences. Immediately, as soon as I got to school, my head was pounding. Uh, I couldn't focus. Now, what we're hoping to learn from two new studies on concussion in young people and breathing new life into what was a very popular stop between the Okanagan and the Lower Mainland. Next. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. Still a little busy both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge after clearing an earlier stall northbound of midspan. Slow on West Georgia Street right through the Stanley Park Causeway and lined up southbound on the Cloverleaf. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A once busy rest stop on the east side of Merritt has sat empty for years, but that is about to change. Claudia Van Emmerich has more on the new vision for the site that'll bring it back to life in a big way. It's a defunct rest stop most Okanagan residents are very familiar with. But the once popular site on the east side of Merritt was decommissioned by the province in 2018 and has sat pretty lifeless since, but not anymore. ground on the seven-acre site was broken this week, paving the way for a major development, one that once complete will be a gateway of sorts to the interior. We really want this to be a destination for people and really see a, a great location to you know, stop by when you're traveling through or even for residents of Merritt to come by and, and use it as a destination. Fittingly called Gateway 286, the project, which is being built by Kelowna company Troika Developments, features 30,000 square feet of commercial space, including a gas station with a convenience store, restaurant, coffee shop, plaza space, and more. We're pretty excited um, to bring other features like a dog park even here so that people can let their dogs out, let them run around. And then we're also bringing in um, a large uh, electric car supercharging station. The land is owned by five First Nation bands of the Nicola Valley after the province granted it to them. It is a great opportunity for, for the reconciliation component of bringing the land back into the First Nations community and providing an economic benefit for them long term. The five bands have joined forces and created a development company called Spyam Holdings to oversee the project, one that has been a longtime vision of current and past leaders. There's a lot of people that pass through here and if we can be part of the economy here and in, in making sure that we accomplish the goals that the previous chiefs had in mind, that's a big step for our membership and, and leadership as well too. In addition to economic prosperity, there's also another equally important benefit of the project. Making sure that uh, our culture is, is out there as well too because uh, our cultural values is very important to our people and our, and our quality of life as well too. 
While the first phase of the project is all about the retail and commercial side, future growth of the site will include housing opportunities. The partnership between the five bands to bring the vision to fruition is being touted as unique and opens the door to similar joint ventures in the future. It's a huge step in, in British Columbia here. And if the five Nicola bands have to be the first to do it, then, you know, I raise my hands up to, to our five bands here in the Nicola Valley. Claudia Van Amber, Global News. Recent research has shed light on just how damaging concussion can be in adults. But what about young athletes, teenagers? Well, two new studies are trying to determine that. And as Ted Chernecki reports, the research could make a difference in the prevention, diagnosis and treatment of the common injury. 16-year-old Zach recently took a hard hit in his hockey game headfirst into the boards. And I knew it was pretty bad the next day because I, immediately as soon as I got to school, my head was pounding. Uh, I couldn't focus. Today he jokes he feels like he's made pro getting immediate and very expensive treatment in hospital. An MRI to look at what damage may have occurred to his brain because mom is worried. We just knew it was going to be a road to recovery for him. Uh, and I think that's what terrified me most is maybe long-term consequences from it. BC Children's Hospital is looking for many more recruits like Nathan. There's been, you know, a few studies on the youth population, but nothing uh, to the level that we're doing it, which is a cross-Canada uh, study with, you know, having all the provinces involved in the recruitment. In Canada, there are an estimated two to 300,000 concussions a year, the majority involving youth. One of the great mysteries is why concussions don't affect everyone the same way. An individual who has a significant hit to the head who's fine the next day versus someone who, say, trips uh, on the sidewalk or hits their head on the trunk of the car that is suffering from symptoms many months later. Tracking symptoms, recovery progress, blood samples, MRI brain analysis and so on is aimed at answering some of those questions. I think it's a great study. It's a great opportunity. It really doesn't entail a lot of work or effort on your part. Uh, the kids just answer a questionnaire once a week, which is two minutes online. They could do it on their phones. Meanwhile, over at UBC, another concussion study is underway involving the Thunderbirds men and women's hockey teams. Players are given special mouth guards with an embedded microchip. And these sensors are found in previous research to be more accurate than other sensor types, such as helmet sensors, because they sit very close to the skull. Anytime there's an impact, the mouth guard will transfer data via Bluetooth to the iPad, telling me the linear velocity, the angular velocity the region of the head that the impact occurred in, as well as how many Gs of force the impact was. This is a five-year study looking at, among other things, the long-term effects of concussions and perhaps who is most vulnerable. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Sometimes it's all a matter of perspective. It's always great to get this uh, this time of year because the best part of it is dry. Yeah, the upside of what has been a very, very soggy spring break. And helping a little guy out of a tight squeeze as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Most BC kids are out of school for spring break and putting up with weather that's, well, not what most would have wished for. The South Coast has been hit with day after day after day of heavy rain. But for skiers and snowboarders, this washout is more of a March miracle. Catherine Urquhart explains. 
wish you were lying on a beach somewhere, like Hawaii maybe. Many people are hopping on a plane. We're heading to Maui, my family and I, and yeah, it's excited about getting to the warm temperatures. Most of us are spending spring break here, stuck in the pouring rain. You can only get so wet. There's no point in, no point in letting rain hold you back. I just hate holding an umbrella, just walking around. Yeah. I just rather like have free hands while holding my shopping bag. But there is another option. Hitting the slopes, Whistler and the local ski hills are all getting a blast of snow. Conditions are great. We still have another week ahead of us, so it should be a good weekend. And in the following week, there should be some sunshine. So great spring break for 2022. And then there's the odd lucky person opting for snow and a trip to Europe. I'm uh, going to Switzerland and France for some skiing. Vancouver is beautiful, rain or shine. Although, who wouldn't love a little more sun? Whether here or somewhere else. Most of us can't wait for brighter days ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Oh, she's so right. And Kasha joins ah. us now. Kasha, the people I think keep thinking about are all the parents who have to entertain their kids indoors. Right. Ooh. Lottery <laughs> drops or just, you know, I've had a dog having to wash them paws oh, constantly. Yeah. Constantly. <laughs> They're underbelly. Yeah, it's been a... Uh... It's been it's been interesting weather uh, and we're starting to see the rain taper here over English Bay or sorry from downtown Vancouver from near Burrard and Kitsilano six degrees but showers are still being reported out of YVR and we still do have a pretty good chance of showers through the evening and the overnight hours and we're going to be hovering around six degrees so temperatures are not going to be changing for us until the afternoon tomorrow afternoon we're going back to seasonal to 10 degrees mostly cloudy skies and a pretty good chance of rain tomorrow though it's going to be the drier day of the next few. So have a look at overnight lows. It's going to be quite mild for many of us. This is a southwesterly flow, so it is pushing in a warmer air mass, minus five in Williams Lake through the overnight, minus one in Kelowna, and minus two for Fort St. John. And now through the weekend, we're saying goodbye to winter and hello spring. Sunday morning, 8.30 a.m., spring equinox arrives. It's going to be eight degrees. That's going to be our daytime high come Sunday with showers in the forecast. You're future radar it is predictive in nature it's starting to show those showers dissipate for us over the south coast and then the next system arrives for the north coast tomorrow morning so it will be rain heavy at times over here it sags south and it's not until friday late day that the system begins to impact us saturday morning will be quite soggy for the south coast as well as you can see and then it starts to taper into the day but all in all it's going to be an unsettled weekend as well for us for much of the province here's how your friday shapes up though we're looking at a lot of sun for eastern sections of the province, or at least the northeast of the province. Five in Nelson, six Fort St. John, above seasonal over there. Prince Rupert looking at rain. Over here, we're looking at pretty dry conditions for the southern half of the province. It is going to be on the cloudy side with just a few showers possible. And over here, we are looking at rain, especially for Vancouver Island, and showers are possible for Metro Vancouver. So there's a look at your long range for Metro Vancouver, Colleen, with your first day of spring on the showery side. And here's your Centra windows weather window. It is brought to us by Jen. She's looking for the pot of gold at the end of this rainbow on this St. Patrick's Day. There you go. Perfect. Love it. Thanks so much, Kasia.
A puppy in Kamloops is safe after getting stuck in a piece of furniture. Have a look at this. Kamloops Fire Rescue says the four-month-old puppy got his head trapped in a metal table frame Wednesday night. Crews eventually used a spreader to pry the frame apart to release the pooch. Fortunately, the little guy's fine, even though going through that ordeal. Fire officials said this is the second time this year they've been called out to help a dog in a tight spot. Good grief. Squire is here. Usually people try to keep their animals off the furniture, not in the in furniture. In the furniture, out of the furniture, yeah, you're right. The uh, Canucks are playing tonight. Are they? They're going to host Detroit. Detroit's lost six games in a row, but despite that, this team still scares Bruce Boudreaux. You know, we're never in a position that we can take anybody lightly. I mean, we're not in the playoffs yet. But you're close. The Canucks are one point out of the playoffs right now. I would say closer than anyone thought they would get, Mm -hmm. even as little as a month ago. No kidding. And later on this St. Patrick's Day, what may be the world's shortest parade. Stay with us. Okay, Squire, right. Squire is here. That, yeah. Uh, I, did you notice that it's spring on Sunday? My allergies noticed it was spring two weeks ago. Did yours? Yep. Yes, and so did a lot of other people. Yeah. No, uh, but now it's official. Yeah. The Detroit Red Wings are in town tonight, but we aren't sure yet. Uh, well, we're pretty sure now, but it was a bit iffy who the Canucks would be starting in this game. We do know Thatcher Demko is going to play goal for Vancouver. Of course, they gave him the day off yesterday at practice to recharge his batteries. Nils Hoaglander had to get tested today to see about his lower body injury, so it's likely he's not going to play. And as for Elias Pettersson, he skated this morning when we went to practice with the camera. Not all the players were out there. It was just an optional. And it looks like he will be able to play in this game because he was out for the pregame warm-up that just happened on a line with uh, Alex Chase on and Nick Patan. Now, the Red Wings, on paper, look like an easy mark. They've lost six games in a row They're not in the playoff race at all. Only Montreal has a worse team defense than they do. The other night, they lost 7-5 in Edmonton. A week ago, they lost 9-2 to Arizona. In February, 10-7 against Toronto. They're like a bad team from the 1980s with those scores. But just the same, Bruce Boudreaux says it's these kind of teams that can burn you if you're not paying attention. It's a very similar team to me, like New Jersey, quite frankly. They play the same way a little bit. Um, and they're dangerous because it, they don't care if they win seven, six, eight, five. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're they're going to keep coming. Um, so it's a uh, it's it's a tough team uh, to play against. And I mean, they've got great speed up front. And uh, you know, we're never in a position that we can take anybody lightly. I mean, we're not in the playoffs yet. So uh, uh, it's a game that we're going to go out there and hopefully work as hard as we can and be successful and uh, and but we we do know that we can't get into a track meet with them and Canucks boss Jim Rutherford is at home after testing positive for COVID no word on how he's doing that means he will be in the home office during trade deadline day which is next Monday uh, Jim catching it uh, is is an eye-opener for all of us that it's possible so um you know, we still have to take our precautions because the last thing we want to get at this point is is an outbreak of anything like that. 
I was going to phone him after here. I was waiting to see how, how he's feeling. I don't want to talk to him when he's too grumpy. <laughs> That's one of those signs of COVID. You just start getting grumpy. Um, the Vancouver Whitecaps haven't won a game this season. And Sunday they have to play their former, former goalie Max Crapel and LAFC, which happens to be one of the best teams in the league, in order to pull the upset. The Whitecaps could use a big game from striker Lucas Cavallini. Now, he did score last week against Houston. He has the only Whitecaps goal so far this year. But still, he is getting himself a bit out of position at times, at least as far as Vanni Sartini is concerned. We want him to be very focused on what we have to do without the ball, not losing a lot of energy in trying to chasing a lot of balls and uh, because we, we need him centrally when we will have the ball in order to be kind of the point of reference, uh, the game is going to be, I would say, on the, on the path that we want. And Cavallini is going to be the Whitecats' main striker because Brian White won't play a lingering foot issue. He's only played 26 minutes so far this season. Despite what you see here, he did not practice all week. Abbotsford's Adam Hadway, Adam Hadwin make that is in a four-way tie for the first round lead after 18 holes of the Valspar Championship down in Florida. Shot a 64 today, seven under par. Puts him on even terms with among that group, Sam Burns, who won this event last year. But Hadwin is also a former champion of this tournament. He won it in 2017, which is his only PGA victory so far. Frosted Lucky Charms are magically delicious. <laughs> Let's see how lucky Adam Hadwin is. He started on the back nine. Former champion. This is a very nice approach. In fact, this is his first hole. Sets up a bit of a kick in birdie. Well, not quite a kick in, but he made that putt. Long distance for birdie on what would be his ninth hole, but it's number 18. He actually had four birdies in his last five holes. Check this out. You know it's your day when. Yeah, with a good lie, this is a very... Make he loves this golf course. He loves this tournament for good reason. Of course it went down. We mentioned Brian White's foot injury. Here's another. Steph Curry will likely miss the rest of the regular season because of this injury last night. He suffered it on a play against the Celtics, diving for a loose ball. It's not broken, but his foot is sprained, and the Warriors think he will be healthy when the playoffs start, but they'll probably give him the rest of the regular season to rest up and get ready for the postseason. That's, there you go. That's got to hurt. It does hurt. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, proof something is better than nothing, especially where St. Patrick's Day is concerned. Stay with us. St. Patrick's Day. So we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge those celebrating today, including in Alberta, where the village of Carmengay hosted an annual St. Patrick's Day tradition. Global's Jacqueline Cousy has more on the origins of the world's shortest trade. Who doesn't like green beer? 
<laughs> Annual St. Patrick's Day celebrations in the village of Carmen Gay kicked off with their world's shortest parade, lasting just over three minutes. Mayor Kim Nichols says it all started in the 80s when the then owner of the Grange Hotel, Jim O'Connor, went to the post office down the block to pick up mail. He saw his friend George Johnson there and invited him to the hotel for a green beer to celebrate the Irish holiday. Since then, the tradition has continued. It kind of marks the end of winter and it's, it's a good reason to celebrate. The parade used to go one block from the post office to the Grange Hotel where parade goers would get a green beer and Irish coffee at the hotel bar. But the Grange burned down last March, just days after the last parade. This year, they kept the same path, but everyone gathered instead at the Carmen Gay Curling Club for beer and Irish stew. It's so wonderful to be able to do this again. It's been a long couple years. Deputy Mayor Doug Fraser grew up in Carmen Gay and is proud of the tradition. It's just one of those days that everybody is happy, eh? Yeah, so... No, it's nice to be part of it. Tony Wolak has been attending the parade for seven years, and every year he dresses up in all green, takes pictures of the festivities, and sends them to his Irish friends. I love the whole hoopla stuff, and having fun and having some drinks and, and seeing people, and that's, that's what it's all about. I just wish everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day, all my Irish friends and everybody that came here. Jacqueline Cousy, Global News. And of course, we can't wear green because our backgrounds, well, some of us have ah. green backgrounds. <laughs> you know that, it, and then we technically I, key in the background. Disappear. Squire's the only one who's sitting in a real set right now. That's right. But that, so really, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day every, every day. Every day. It ain't easy being green. <laughs> Really? I wish I could wear green. <laughs> last last word on our St. Patrick's Day forecast. Yeah, the rain tapers to just a chance of rain tomorrow. It's going to be the drier day, but still some showers. Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. Have a great night. Bye.